Good morning. Great to see you. Um, it started, isn't it? It started in our house as well. Uh, the music's been on, the tree is up. I know some of you leave it till a lot later, but 1st of December and it all... It all kicks off. Anyway, um, so this is, this is the last of our Transform series that, that we're doing. I, I just think it's been a great series. I've really enjoyed it. Um, the presence of God in our meetings, people responding to him, wanting to be close to him, wanting him to transform things in our lives. I think it's been really, really great. And um, so in the series, we've been looking at how encountering Jesus, encountering the risen Jesus, transforms our lives in so many ways. Um, so it's in Acts 4.13... That it says, when they, the Jewish authorities, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. They had been with Jesus. They had been changed. They had been transformed through being with Jesus. And we see that repeated in all the, the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. So we started by looking at the conversion of Saul who became Paul, the Apostle Paul. And that was surely one of the most uh, dramatic and transforming encounters of all. But here's the thing. If you're a Christian today, then you've encountered Jesus in that way. It may not have been like the Damascus Road experience that, that Paul had. It may have been, I don't know. But actually, your salvation is just as much a miracle as it, as it was for Paul. And it's through encountering Jesus that you, are, that you are saved. And then we saw how Jesus transformed Mary Magdalene's despair when she encountered Jesus by the tomb and, and also looked at how Jesus today, he can do the same for you. He can defeat the grip of despair in your life. Then we uh, saw the disappointment of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus and how actually their disappointment had really blinded them. They were spiritually blind. They didn't recognize Jesus at first. And then Jesus broke bread and kind of revealed himself and they encountered him and he, he opened their eyes and he transformed their disappointment into great joy and rejoicing and celebration. And then there was, um, we saw how he turned fear among the disciples. He turned that fear into peace and hope and, and power. And then how he transformed Thomas's doubts into assurance. How he, last week we heard about how he transformed Peter's failure into victory in the most amazing way by healing him, restoring him. And, and, and here's the thing, as we continue to encounter the risen Jesus today, he still does it. He still transforms our disappointments and our fears and our doubts and our failures. He has redeemed you and he has restored you and he continues to redeem and restore you. And he does that because he loves you and he wants the very best to you. But also he transforms you for a very specific reason, a very particular reason. He transforms you for a purpose, and he gives you purpose. And so that's the last transformation that we're looking at in this series, is how Jesus transforms purpose. And it's probably the biggest question that we face in our lives, that everybody faces in their life. At some point, ask the question, why am I here? Why am I here? What, what's the meaning of life? What's the purpose of life? What is my place in this world? Because we have this inbuilt desire, this inbuilt need for purpose in our lives. I mean, just think back to when you were younger, like a lot younger, when you were five, let's say. What did you want to be when you grew up? What did you want to, Craig, did you always want to be a, yeah, a doctor? Doctor. Someone wanted to be a doctor, 
Some wanted to be policemen, some wanted to be a fireman, that kind of thing, or an astronaut. Bizarrely, I wanted to be a pole vaulter. Um, I, I have no idea where that particular inspiration came from, and needless to say, that is a dream that has never been uh, realised. I'm just not built for that kind of thing. Um, but here's the point. Why on earth were you dreaming about having any kind of job or profession at all? You didn't need a job at that age. You, you didn't have bills to pay. You didn't have responsibilities. I mean, just successfully going to the toilet was an achievement at that age. So why, were you, why, why would you even think about what you wanted to be when you grew up? Well, because we all have that inbuilt long. In they have a desire, a need for purpose and for significance to accomplish something in this world of meaning, to have a mission in life. And of course, we tend to look in all sorts of places for that sense of purpose. And so uh, it might be in relationships or in friends and, and family. That might be where you find or you look for your sense of purpose in having a good family that is functioning well and, and all the rest. It might be in your studies. It might be in your career. It might be in sports and in hobbies. It might be in good causes. You know, all of these are good things in themselves. The problem is we tend to take those good things and turn them into ultimate things where we're looking for our ultimate sense of satisfaction and purpose and they will let us down every time. Even those good things like our family, like career, like hobbies and, and good causes, they, we will not find that ultimate sense of satisfaction and purpose we're looking for if that's what we ascribe to those things. Or we might try and look at others and copy them. Look at the life of somebody else and think, well, that's what I want to be like. And there, again, there's some good in that, but there's also some terrible negatives in that. And I would say particularly, it has always been a human problem, but particularly in our age of social media, for our young people, the, the whole thing of comparison, and particularly with looks, and, and, and that person's life looks so exciting compared to my dull, boring life. Per, that person's life is not like that. It's the wrong place to look for any sense of purpose to compare yourself to others. It always leads to misery. Or we might look at society and try to live up to its expectations. You're heading for trouble. You're heading for disaster if you do that. What makes the most sense, of course, to discover our ultimate sense of purpose in life, the reason we were created, is to go to the creator. It's to see what, what does he say. And the encounter that we see between Jesus and his disciples on a mountain in Galilee in Matthew 28, we, we discover the mission and the purpose that Jesus gave to his disciples then and that he gives to his disciples throughout all of history. So we're going to read Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. This will be very familiar for some of us. So it says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Like I said, for many of us it's a very familiar passage, the Great Commission. The Great Commission that Jesus gives us. But being obedient to this great commission is the ultimate response. It's the ultimate transformation that takes place in our lives as a result of encountering the risen Jesus. We encounter him and he saves us miraculously. We continue to encounter him and he continues to transform us, our disappointments, our fears, our failures and all the rest. But also we encounter him and he gives us a clear mission, a very clear mission. We're not just saved from something, we are saved for something. 
Jesus transforms your purpose. Go and make disciples of all nations. And so I'm going to just approach this in three kind of chunks, three sections. One is the authority to go. The second point is the command to go. And then thirdly, the power to go. The authority to go, the command to go, and the power to go. So Jesus says, all authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go. This is absolutely crucial to this mission. Who it is who gives us the mission. Jesus is the source of our mission, but he's also the authority for our mission. We don't go in our own authority, we go in his. And that makes all the difference to how we approach this. So I remember many years ago, um, when I was first given the opportunity to speak on a Sunday morning here on on this platform, first time I think I'd spoken on my own. Uh, on a a Sunday morning and this was way before being in a position of leadership in the church or being an elder or anything like that and um, I do remember having that real sense of who am I who am I to be speaking to these people most of whom have been Christians for longer than me uh, are far more experienced than me know much more than me what authority do I possibly have to stand up and teach them and I was also possibly slightly regretting my choice of passage from Revelation about the church in Laodicea being lukewarm and Jesus spitting them out of his mouth. But that's another matter. Anyway, in those days, there was one Sunday morning meeting in here. We had one morning meeting, 10.30 in here. And those who were involved in the meeting, leading the meeting, so the worship leader, the meeting leader, uh, the speaker, and the elders of the church would meet for prayer at 7.30 in the morning up at Frank and Eileen's house in Hazelmere. Frank and Eileen Matthews, so Frank uh, founded the church along with a few others back in the early 70s and the church started off by meeting in Frank and Eileen's living room up uh, on the Manor Farm estate where we now have a a site again. And so there was a prayer meeting up at Frank's house at 7.30 on Sunday mornings. I do remember that authority doing you because we trust you. And the difference that made to me, it's like something lifted off me the difference it made to realise I'm not doing this in my own authority. I'm doing this in someone else's authority, someone who has a higher authority, someone who has spiritual authority in this church. I'm doing it in their authority and I'm doing it in submission to that authority. And also they're willing to take a risk on me by giving me authority for this task. It was tremendously releasing. Now it probably wasn't a very good sermon at all, but I know that it gave me a sense of great boldness and courage and it took away all sense of fear. Now, if we had any grasp, any sort of grasp of the magnitude of the authority that Jesus has and in which he sends us out, we would have absolutely no fear whatsoever about going out and sharing the gospel and going out and making disciples. I mean, just consider the authority that Jesus has. First of all, the authority he has always had eternally by virtue of who he is, that he is God, he is the son of God, So we're told that all things in creation were made through him. All things were made through him. Nothing that has been made wasn't made through him. I mean, that is some power and some authority. We're told in Hebrews and Colossians that he sustains the world. He holds everything together by the word of his power. The, The reason the world still turns, the reason we're still alive today, the reason everything continues is because Jesus is holding it together by the word of his power, actively sustaining the world. He governs all of nature. He's the one who can turn water into wine. He can calm a violent storm with just a word, peace. Peace. 
and the storm stops. He has authority over Satan and the powers of darkness. He has authority over all disease. He has authority over sin. He was able to come and live as one of us, yet without bowing to the power of sin. He has authority over sin, and he has authority over death. But not only has he always had eternally that authority by virtue of who he is, but there is also this sense of being given authority. It's what he says. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, given by God the Father. And this authority that has been given to him because of what he achieved in his work on the cross for you and for me. He's been given that authority and it's summed up beautifully in Philippians 2 where it says Jesus, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, therefore, because of that, God exalted him to the highest place. He gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. I think that means that needs an amen. Thank you. He has all authority Jesus has all authority, all authority in heaven and on earth. This is universal authority. There is no higher authority. There is no name that is higher. God has exalted him to the highest place. You can't get higher than highest. And it means that when we go and share the gospel with others, and Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go. He's saying, you don't go in your own authority, you go in mine. And there is no higher There is no higher authority. The one who is king of kings, lord of lords, sovereign over all. And if that doesn't embolden you, I don't know what will. If that doesn't embolden us for mission, I don't know what will. Because he has authority over everything, it means that he has absolute authority and power over the mission of the church, which means it cannot fail. It cannot fail. His mission to reach the world is unstoppable. It might not always feel like that to us. We face opposition, we face difficulties, but ultimately his mission is unstoppable. He says, I will build my church. I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Nothing is outside of his sovereignty, nothing. And if he meets with resistance, he will either allow it for his purposes or he'll overcome it for his purposes. But he is sovereign. He is overall. He is in control. He is in charge. He is unstoppable. As it says in Isaiah 46, I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning. From ancient times, what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. What I have said, that I will bring about. And what I have planned, that I will do. He is sovereign. He has authority over all. And the amazing thing is that he entrusts his authority to the likes of you and me. That wouldn't be my plan, I have to say. I, I would probably think, send some angels or something, something far more impressive than, than, than me. But he's sovereign. He knows what he's doing. But do you see how releasing this is? Just as I felt emboldened in, in, in speaking on a Sunday morning, I felt... Now, of course, I had a response operating someone else's authority and in submission to that authority. Now, of course, I had a responsibility in that for thinking about what I was going to say, for thinking about how I was going to say it. I had a responsibility for putting in the preparation. But 
someone else with more authority than I had was taking responsibility for the consequences of that. The consequence of what I said, even if I got it completely and terribly wrong, someone else was taking responsibility for the consequences. The point is, we have a responsibility to share the good news. We have a responsibility to think about how we share the good news. But the responsibility for salvation lies with him. I can't save anyone and you can't save anyone. That is beyond our powers. It's beyond our capabilities. The responsibility lies with him. It's all on him. It's all on God. And James Hudson Taylor, the, the great missionary to China, he, he was going through a time of experiencing real turmoil. Real, he was agonizing about the impossibility of the mission, the sheer scale of it, the size of this nation of China, and the millions and millions of people. And he was losing sleep at the sheer scale of it. He was feeling overwhelmed until he got revelation from God. And then he said this, why? If we are obeying the Lord... The responsibility rests with him, not with us. Thou, Lord, thou, thou shalt have the burden. All the responsibility lies on thee, Lord Jesus. I surrender. The consequences rest with thee. And he and his team of missionaries saw incredible breakthrough in China. I surrender. That's our part. We surrender. We're obedient. I surrender. The responsibility lies with you, God. But we do have to surrender. We do have to be obedient because just as we have Jesus' authority to go, we also have his command to go. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. It is a command. It's not an option to think about. It's not an option to weigh up. Do I do that or do I not do that? No, no. He doesn't divide his people into some of you are the evangelists and some of you are, are pastors to kind of have a nice time together and look after each other. No, no. There's no option. There are no exceptions. If you're a follower of Jesus, this command is for you. Go. And for some of you, that will mean hearing and responding to the call of God to go to the ends of the earth, to leave your home and go to the ends of the earth, to go to the nations, to go to the lost of other nations. I had a privilege recently of being in Kathmandu and just seeing the joy of seeing these believers out there, faithful, courageous, passionate about the gospel. They're reaching the ends of the earth by by taking the gospel to some of the remotest villages in their nation. It's inspiring. Some of you will be called to go to places like that, to go to the ends of the earth. Are you listening for his call? Are you being obedient to his call? But then for others, and probably for the majority, the call is to bring that blessing here. I mean, the nations are here. The ends of the earth are here as well, to bring that blessing to the people of this town, to your neighbourhoods and your workplaces and your families. And we've heard God speak to us very clearly as a church about High Wycombe. You know, we love this town. I know lots of people run this town down. We love this town because God loves this town. We're here for this town. We're here to surround and saturate this town with the love of Jesus. Why? Because of what we have received the precious gift that we ourselves have received, that we have to give out. We have known this wonderful, transforming love and salvation for ourselves, the grace of God poured out on us. The wonder that we can have intimacy with God through Jesus. The amazing, undeserved gift of eternal life with him, won by Jesus on the cross and through his resurrection. That we have been raised to life with him. Ephesians tells us we're seated with him in the heavenly realms and that we've received every spiritual blessing in Christ. We are blessed. And so if we have received new life 
in Christ. If we have received his love and his salvation and his grace, then it is fundamentally unloving of us not to share that with others. It's totally selfish to not share that with others. And it's amazing, though, how quickly and easily we'd reduce the scope of the gospel down to me and my life. And my meeting my needs, my prosperity, my comfort, my security, while thousands upon thousands in our town, millions in our nation, and billions in the world are perishing, walking around in darkness, heading for eternity in hell. I mean, are we content with that? Are we content with that? Are we content to sit in, within these walls and sing our praises to God and marvel at how we've been blessed at the same time being blind to the dying world outside? I mean, don't get me wrong, Jesus loves it when we worship him. This is good to gather together and sing praises to God. It's right to do that. It's right to marvel at every blessing we've received. We have to receive from God to be able to give any, anything out. Jesus loves it when we worship him. He loves it even more when we obey him. And the command he gives us is to go. Go, share the gospel. Go, make disciples. And you might say to me, but I don't know how. I don't know how to, I'm I'm not very good at it. I don't know how to do that. And I would say to you, oh yes, you do. You absolutely do. Five letter word, B-L-E-S-S. You bless people. You bless the people in your life. B, begin with prayer. Prayer is so powerful. We pray because Jesus is sovereign. We pray because of his authority. We trust his authority. He's the only one who has the authority to do the things that we're asking him to do. And when you pray for people on your blessed list, and by the way, if you don't know what I'm talking about with bless and blessed list and that sort of thing, I'd encourage you to pick up one of these blessed pocket guides. They're all down here. That's what all these things on the wall are about, people's blessed lists, names of people in their lives. When we pray... For people on our blessed lists, it is powerful because you are praying in line with God's will when you pray for someone's salvation. God desires that all would be saved. And if you've been, by the way, to any of our early morning Thursday prayer meetings, you know how powerful it is to pray together in line with God's will. It is powerful. And if you've never been to one of those prayer meetings, come along. I can't encourage it highly enough. Come along, West End Hall. Come and be with us in those prayer meetings. Half six on Thursday. But when we pray for people on the blessed list, it is powerful. And then be intentional about the other things as well. L, listen, listen more than you speak. E, eat together. Eat together, build relationships in that way. Then serve people as they have the opportunity to do so. Because when you pray for people regularly, when you're eating together and listening to them, they will tell you how to love them, how you can serve them. So love them like Jesus did. Take opportunities to bless people practically, to serve them, and then you'll get the opportunity to share your story. And be prepared with your story. Whether you get a minute to share it or five minutes to share it, be prepared with your story because it's the most powerful tool that you have. It is so simple. It's so simple and yet it's also so profound. But these are things that anyone can do. Any one of us can do those blessed practices. And then invite people. Invite people to carols at King's coming up in a couple of weeks because they will hear the gospel. Do you know, a couple of people on my blessed list asked me weeks ago, before all the publicity was out, they asked me weeks ago, oh, you must tell us when your carols thing is. Because they came last year for the first time and were so blown away by it, they want to come again. I'm like, yes, I want you there. Thank you for asking, because I know you'll hear the gospel, and who knows, God might just stir something in their hearts on that occasion. But they're asking me. Invite people to carols at King's. Invite people to come to Alpha after Christmas. Invite them to come on Sundays. What have you got to lose? 
what have any of us got to lose? The command is to go and make disciples. Maybe you just feel weak and inadequate. Well, join the club. Join the club. But guess what? Just as it's not about your authority, it's not about your strength or your lack of strength either. It's about his. Because along with the, the authority to go and the command to go, Jesus also gives us the power to go. He says this, he says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Well, how can Jesus be with us always? How can this man be with us always throughout all of history? Well, Jesus is pointing forward to his ascension to heaven that we read about in the beginning of the book of Acts and then to the subsequent outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus on the day of Pentecost that started off this explosive gospel revolution that has been spreading across the world ever since. He's with us by his spirit. This is a pretty comprehensive statement that Jesus makes here. He says, surely, you know, just, just, I'm just telling you that I really, really mean this. Jesus means everything he says, but he's just underlining it. Surely I am with you. How long? Always. And then just to avoid any doubt, even to the very end of the age. That's a comprehensive promise. There are no loopholes in there. There are no gotchas in there. If you are born again, Jesus is eternally present with you and in you by his spirit. The unlimited spirit of God comes not just to be with us, but to live in us. It's amazing. God dwells in you. And so the great commission is also the great co-mission. It is a co-mission because we go together. We go with Jesus. He goes with us, but we don't go in our strength. We go in his strength. We go in his power, in his authority. And we need to constantly be reminded of that. Because actually, you know, evangelism is not just difficult. It's impossible in our own strength. Our success relies completely on his power, not on ours. But Jesus said in Acts 1.8, he says, you will receive power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be, because of the power you've received, this is why I'm giving you this power, and because of that power you've received, you will go and be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We go in the power of his spirit. So let me encourage you, take an opportunity today. Take an opportunity today to receive that again to be filled with his spirit again, to receive his power again and be equipped to go out from here and share the gospel, to share the good news because that is your God-given purpose in life. That is your purpose in life. That is what will make your life count. Whatever your age, whether you're in your teens or you're in your 90s, that is the call on your life. You might feel like you're past it. You're not. God still calls you to go and make disciples in whatever way you can. There might be some of you in your 60s or 70s who have retired from work and God will call you to the ends of the earth. Why not? He certainly calls you to this place, to this town. Whatever your age, whatever your abilities, whatever your background, whatever your ethnicity, however much money you have or you don't have, whether you're married or you're single, this is the purpose. This is the mission that should absolutely fill your life. And I'm, going to, I'm just going to play this video clip of John Piper. It's quite a long clip, so it gives me a bit of a rest as well. But I think he captures this very, very powerfully. This was filmed about 20 years ago, so it's not the best quality picture, but 
Have a listen to what he says, and then I'm going to finish in prayer. You don't have to know a lot of things in order to make a huge difference for the Lord in the world. But you do need to know a few things that are great and be willing to live for them and die for them. People that make a difference in the world are not people who have mastered a lot of things. They are people who have been mastered by a very few things that are very, very great. If you want your life to count, you don't have to have a high IQ and you don't have to have a high EQ. You don't have to be smart. You don't have to have good looks. You don't have to be from a good family or from a good school. You just have to know a few basic, simple, glorious, majestic, obvious, unchanging, eternal things and be gripped by them and be willing to lay down your life for them. Which is why anybody in this crowd can make a worldwide difference. Because it isn't you. It's what you're gripped with. But one of the really sad things about this moment right now is that there are hundreds of you in this crowd who do not want your life to make a difference. All you want is to be liked. Maybe finish school, get a good job, find a husband or a wife, a nice house, a nice car, long weekends, good vacations, grow old healthy, have a fun retirement, die easy, no hell. And that's all you want. You don't give a rip whether your life counts on this earth for eternity. That's a tragedy in the making. That is a tragedy in the making. About three weeks ago, we got news at our church that Ruby Eliason and Laura Edwards were killed in Cameroon. Ruby Eliason, over 80, single all her life, a nurse, poured her life out for one thing, to make Jesus Christ known among the sick and the poor in the hardest and most unreached places. Laura Edwards, a medical doctor in the Twin Cities, and then in retirement, partnering up with Ruby, also pushing 80, and going from village to village in Cameroon. 
and the brakes give way. Over a cliff they go, and they're dead instantly. And I asked my people, is this a tragedy? Two women in their 80s, almost, a, a whole life devoted to one idea, Jesus Christ magnified among the poor and the sick in the hardest places. And 20 years after most of their American counterparts had begun to throw their lives away on trivialities in Florida and New Mexico, fly into eternity with a death in a moment. Is this a tragedy, I asked. It is not a tragedy. I'll read you what a tragedy is. I've got a little article here from Reader's Digest. You don't read Reader's Digest, I know that. But there is a generation who does. This is a tragedy. Title of the article, Start Now, Retire Early, February 1998. Bob and Penny took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball, and collect shells. That's a tragedy. That's a tragedy. And there are people in this country that are spending billions of dollars to get you to buy it. And I get 40 minutes to plead with you, don't buy it. With all my heart, I plead with you, don't buy that dream. The American dream. A nice house, a nice car, a nice job, a nice family, a nice retirement. Collecting shells. As the last chapter, before you stand before the creator of the universe to give an account with what you did. Here it is, Lord, my shell collection. Look, Lord, my shell collection. And I've got a good swing. And look at my boat. God. God. Look at my boat, God. Well, not for Ruby and not for Laura. Don't waste your life. Don't waste it. Let's pray. Our Lord, we come before you now, the creator of the universe.
we say, Lord, forgive us for our apathy. Forgive us when we prefer comfort to obedience. Forgive us for preferring self-centeredness over love for others. And Lord, we ask you, break our hearts for the lost. Break our hearts for the things that break yours. Help us to see people through your eyes. Help us to align our lives with your purpose. So we invite you today, Lord, to come and change us. Come and transform us. Jesus, you gave everything. You gave everything so that we might have life and have life to the full. And in your grace and through others who were obedient to your call, you revealed yourself to us. And now you send us out. You command us to make disciples, to go and make disciples, to go and share the good news. Lord, I want to be obedient. I want to be obedient to your command. I want my life to count for something. I want to go motivated by your passionate love. And Lord, I thank you that we go, not on our own, but we go in your authority, we go in your spirit, in your power. Lord, remind us again of that today. Fill us with your spirit again today. And send us out boldly. Send us out courageously to reach this town, to reach this world for your glory. Amen.